0: a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and never guess that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Up dance, hobby Tommy talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host Jeremy Lee. All right everybody. Welcome to episode Number 216 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, February the 10th, 2024. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everyone who tuned in last week for our episode with Mike Summer of the Wax Pack Hero podcast. We had a great show. You can check that out along with all past episodes of Sports Cards Live on the YouTube channel. Next Saturday, our guest is Coach Co, and that will be the very first episode In the new digs, this is the last episode in this room. Over 500 live streams, and this will be the last one. Tomorrow night is Super Bowl. No PWCC hockey show. I will be watching the Super Bowl. Excited for that. And be sure to check out MC Monday's Showcase Edition. $5,000 plus items we'll be covering on Monday, February the 19th. A couple Mondays from now. That will be their first Showcase Auction, And I'd like to ask you to join over half a million people who have downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps and accurate card identification. The Center Stage Marketplace featuring super easy listings and reasonable transparent fees is coming soon. So please join me in supporting the great team they have, the innovation they are undertaking, and let's help make Center Stage a great place to buy and sell Singles. Also, use protection, practice, safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to a million dollars is fully insured by their guarantee. Check them out on iOS and Android. And join me and Veriswap founder Raymond Lee for our bi-weekly Veriswap Trade Desk on Instagram Live. Those are tons of fun. Also, please join me in welcoming new sports cards live sponsor, Filth Bomb Breaks. The team at Filth Bomb offers live case and box breaks. As we learned a couple of weeks ago, we had founder Stephen Abendondolo on the show. They do break with integrity and responsibility. If you enjoy group breaks and are looking for a company to break with, please check out Filth Bomb Breaks. They are streaming on four different channels on Fanatics Live seven days a week. I'd like to shout out Hobby News Daily. Check out hobbynewsdaily.com for your daily dose of hobby information, articles, a great collaboration of hobby content creators, and also Leighton Sheldon, Just Collect Vintage Breaks, will be joining us for the Vintage Spotlight a little bit later tonight. And finally, you can now buy and sell tag-graded cards on Com C. Tag's new Tag X grading service is a game changer. Pokemon, Lorcana, and other rounded corner TCGs are now eligible for grading. Visit taggrading.com if you value transparency and consistency. In grading, as always, thanks all partners, sponsors, and of course, loyal viewers and listeners for your ongoing support. If you're not yet subscribed, please take a moment and do so. And as always tonight, your comments and your questions are in play. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Tonight's guest started in the hobby in 1989 when his grandmother would take him to local card shops so he could buy pro set football and NBA hoops, basketball cards at the end of 2020 or so at the end of 2020 After a 30-year hiatus, he found his old collection and was fascinated with card values and how card grading had become so important. He married the fantasy sports element with the modern card market and started his podcast, The Sports Card Strategy Show, in September 2021. His favorite players of all time are Magic Johnson and Barry Sanders, and his favorite teams of all time, the Detroit Pistons, the Detroit Tigers, the Detroit Lions, and the Nashville Predators. He's originally from Rochester Hills, Michigan, currently hailing out of Nashville, Tennessee. Let's bring him out. Paul Hickey. Welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight, my friend?
1: Let's go, Jeremy Lee. I'm pumped to be here with you, man. How you doing?
0: I'm good, man. You can tell I'm a little I'm a little amped up tonight. First of all, I'm excited to have you on. We we go back already a couple of years and it's a it's a bit of an interesting time for me. I'm I'm moving, literally moving into a new house on Wednesday. And I've been in this house for almost eight years, and this is where Sports Cards Live was born. My content was born, and so I'm a little bit, uh, you know, it's it'll be, fu- it'll be interesting to move into the new place. So it's fun for me that this is the last episode that I'll be broadcasting from this room.
1: I'm honored to be on your last episode from this room, and we're going to send you out in style, man.
0: I hope so. I- I'm excited, man. It's... Uh... It's good times, good times. Life is good. So, well, let's uh, let's jump in. Let's hear a little bit about you, your hobby history. I mentioned that, you know, your grandmother was helping you find packs of hoops and pro set back in 89 and 90. I mean, man, I remember those days. I remember busting those plastic wrapper cards for the first time. You could see through the hoops wrappers and see who was on top, if you remember that. But tell us a little bit more. Just kind of take us through your history from maybe then right through till now, uh, if you don't mind.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before I do that, I just want to give a shout out to the sports cards live audience. Thank you all for, for having me on the show. This is all about you guys. And, uh, so, so thanks for the opportunity and thanks to you, Jeremy. So yeah, man, you know, I love the hobby. I love the hobby. Like, you know, ever since I was you know probably five or six years old, just in love with sports, my dad was a high school basketball coach. So I was in the gym with him all the time as a little kid. I was a gym rat. So I was just constantly wanting more and more sports, right? Whether it was sports cards or watching sports on TV or sports video games or whatever it was. But the thing I like most about sports cards is the sports information, right? Like you could learn everything you need to know at the time about the athletes and all the information on the back, building sets, building those, you know, now we we call them junk wax, but those pro set 1989, 1990 football and the hoops, 1989 and 1990 basketball those were my 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 jam back in the day so i loved building those sets i probably put together two or three each of those those different years of those brands that you mentioned there and uh you know it was fun it's like it's fun learning about all the players it was fun um the challenge of building the set and you know buddies of mine like their their grandparents would just buy them the sealed box sets and i thought that you know that's good for them. Everything's allowed, right? But for me it was more, you know, I wanted to put things together. And so you mentioned earlier, you know, that's kind of how I got started. And today I'm in a little bit of a different spot. So I'm looking forward to getting into that a little bit more with you today.
0: Right. Well let let's let's do that. But first I have to I have to ask So in my intro, I mentioned who your favorite teams were. All the Detroit teams, except for the Detroit Red Wings. Instead, you're a Nashville Predators fan, which I think is great because you live in Nashville now, so you're cheering for your home team. I do the same thing. But why aren't you a Detroit Red Wings fan? I have to ask the question because they've had some great teams and some great players over the years.
1: Absolutely, they have. And it's kind of an interesting story. I mean, my first job out of college was with the Detroit Pistons. I was fortunate enough to get an internship there when I was in college at Michigan state. I fell in love with it. I worked in media relations and public relations for the Pistons and the Detroit shock that a WNBA team. But the reason why I realized the red wings didn't come out of my mouth when, when I was talking about my favorite teams is because there's this interesting rivalry between the owners at the time. Uh, Bill Davidson was the owner of the Pistons and Mike Illich was the owner of the red wings. And, uh, They just didn't really like each other that much. And so the Pistons actually own the Tampa Bay Lightning. And so I was kind of groomed, I guess, to not really love the Red Wings as much as I love the other Detroit sports teams. And uh, then when we moved to Nashville, my family and I moved to Nashville in 2007. um, And our kids were born here. And, you know, this is where, you know, I took my kids to their first hockey games, you know, the Preds games. So that's the reason. Kind of weird but that is what it is right
0: yeah that's, that's it's it's a, a corporate rivalry that caused you to uh to not be a Red Wings fan it's kind of funny but hey that that it, it is what it is I mean some great teams back in the day with Iserman and Fedorov and Lidstrom et cetera et cetera so good times for sure so you and I let's just uh, let everybody understand sort of how we met and I'm gonna I'm gonna let I'll say where but I'll let you tell the story. Uh we met almost two years ago at the very first mint collective in Las Vegas uh, you you approached me and um I'll let you tell the story
1: I thought it was a great event and I, I was admiring the job that you were doing in you know some of the panel discussions and the way that you were kind of maneuvering topics in those discussions and you were a moderator and then I noticed um, you know, I was taking my notes, right. And I was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm new to this. I'm new to the business of the hobby at the time. And I was looking, of course, I think, I think as we all do the network a little bit at these events, I think, I think it's about, you know, not just looking at cards, but also, um, meeting people, meeting other people in the hobby. And I was, I was alone, I was traveling alone. So I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I needed to challenge myself to meet some new people. And I, you know, I admired you. I thought you, I thought you did a great job. I thought you you know, what you were doing, what you were asked to do wasn't necessarily easy. You got to bring value to people. Um, you have to ask the right questions and you have to keep things moving. And so I admired that about you. And I thought, you know, you honestly, that's something I would like to do one day. I'd like to be involved in maybe doing something like that at an event in the hobby. And so, um, Then I noticed you you were at the TAG booth as well. And so I thought, man, what great branding, what great concept in terms of the different value proposition that TAG brings to grading sports cards. And I'm just kind of admiring um, innovators in the space, to be honest with you, and different companies that wanna bring different value. I think competition is good. I think it's healthy. So. I said, you know what? Let me let me go approach Jeremy. Let me just go introduce myself. It's something that I think a lot of us don't do from time to time because it's not comfortable to do that, right? It's not comfortable. It's it can be a little bit awkward to approach someone that you've never met before and introduce yourself and try to build a relationship. But I thought let's give it a shot, and it went well. It, we went. I think you know that's how it all started, and uh, that's what I did. I just you got. I think you got to be honest about who you are, where you are in your journey and share facts about yourself and ask questions from the other person and so uh genuinely wanted to get to know you and and I think it's gone well
0: yeah i mean i remember i do remember that moment and you were just super friendly and uh and you seemed passionate about the hobby and yeah you, you were you're easy to talk to so i was i was i was appreciative that you did stop by it was it was a fun event and uh and yeah i'm grateful for that. So we're going to get into what you do. You have a website nooffseason.com. You've got your podcast, Sports Card Strategy Show, YouTube show as well. We'll we'll get into that. I want to say hello to to the crowd. So let's just let's just see who we got. Chris C, my strategy this year is to focus on my two PC guys and avoid buying new wax. Chris C, welcome to the show. Jacob Dahl is here as always. Good to see you Jacob. Bill Betts, welcome to the show. Bill baseball card curmudgeon. What's up with you? Daniel A says, anyone else memorize Jeremy's theme song? Too funny. I I do, Daniel. I've memorized it. Uh, the professor is here. Good evening, professor. Nice to see you as always. Hobby champs, what's going on? Says, can't wait to see the new setup. Yeah, and I hope it's I hope I'm gonna have everything kind of behind me in time for next Saturday. We'll see. I gotta get like a professional Hanger of things on the wall, person. Because I will otherwise, I'll just put a bunch of nails in until I find the right spot. For sure. What's going on, Craig's cards? Get to see you, eighty-six collectibles. Good evening, Todd McDonald, Justin Bode, Tim Larson in the house. Tim, what's going on? Good to see you. Baseball card curmudgeon says I enjoy Paul's show as well. Sports card strategy. There you go. Very nice. Lauren Florio is here. Hello, Lauren. I, I I've known who Lauren is for a long time back great collector great collector good evening perk cardboard hobbits sorry cardboard profit says investors ruin the hobby upside down smile i know he's just fooling around what's going on ryan bob boozle says paul hickey is the best sports cards live guest ever but this is probably recency bias bob boozle welcome to the show eric stefano stukes justin bode says we're gonna miss this place yeah me too justin Hobby says, I would like to see Naughty Pine in the background moving forward. Not going to happen, but thanks for the request. Seven levels. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Jake Dahls welcoming Paul. Very nice, Jake. Very nice. Chrissy says, recency bias is ignoring Bill Russell's 11 titles in 13 years. Amazing, even as a Lakers fan. He makes a good point, doesn't he, Paul? We forget about the GOATs. And a lot of the current players sell for a lot more. We'll get into that in a little bit. I just want to get through and say hello to everyone. I'm excited tonight. Chad Shipper, what's going on? Orlando, happy to see you here. Mark Santucci, hope you enjoyed your party. Chad wants to know how we make Paul a Red Wings jersey for old time's sake. What's going on? Fowl Five ball is here. He is here. Colin Murray is here as well. Jeff McMahon, y'all are here. Andrew, happy Saturday to you. Mike Petty, I like Kaboomies and Paul too. Yeah, I, I watch his Kaboom episode. Jeff's card journey, happy Super Bowl Eve to you. And Laura is here. What an evening. Kings Oilers on TV, Sports Cards Live. All right, guys. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Paul Hickey of NoOffseason.com and the Sports Card Strategy Show. Paul, nooffseason.com. Tell us. It's a website. Tell us what it is.
1: Okay, it's a place where people can go for advice from me on how to make money flipping sports cards. And I try to make it entertaining, fun. I try to make it not obvious. And so I would say it's my goal is to always be making it like half I want people to binge content and half I really want people to learn. And what I mean by learn specifically is like I believe that we're all going to enjoy the hobby more if we make decisions with our money that result in either Immediate cash with flips, if that's your goal. Or if your goal is to PC more long-term, build a collection that increases in value. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And because I think what I've experienced from my audience in our show, in our our NoOffseason.com family, I call it, is it really is a family to me, is that many, many people are re-entering the hobby after like 20, 30 years like I did. And so they have this culture shock of many more releases than what they were used to and many more rookie cards for each player than they were used to. I mean, Joe Burrow has what, like 5,000 plus rookie cards. And when, when I was growing up, when many of us were growing up, that wasn't even close to the case. So you can make the You can make the you can make mistakes you can make the wrong decision very easily so we try to help people buy the right card for the right player at the right time Nooffseason.com is a place where you can get some free content you can get a free 30-day trial and then much of our content is behind that paid wall after that free trial so you can you can taste for 30 days you get you get everything in that free 30-day trial to give you the the decision is whether or not you want to stay and we hope you stay and the sports card strategy show obviously is free we go live uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, and we're on all the podcast apps. So love doing what I'm doing there. And that's kind of how the whole ecosystem works.
0: So tell us about a, a component of, of the NoOffseason.com website is what you call Sports Card School. And that's interesting. I mean, we've I've seen over the past several years, courses and you see some Instagram or Facebook ads here and there, people trying to sell their plays or sell their, their program how do you differentiate, like what is sports card school and how do you differentiate it from some of the other offerers of services that we see sometimes?
1: Yeah, great question. Sports card school is something we started at nooffseason.com in November of 2023. And it came about based on a couple different factors. Number one, I felt like we needed something other than premium articles and we have the Overflow show which is a premium members only podcast and essentially the format of the Overflow show is to ask to allow all of our members to ask unlimited amount of questions throughout the year. Some people ask 3-4 questions per show, you know I'll get like flurries from certain people at at one time of the year and then they'll kind of go dark and then they'll come back. But they get unlimited advice throughout the year. And the format of that is in a premium members podcast on Fridays. So that still exists. I felt like we needed something other than those two elements to provide maximum value to the premium members. And I felt like there was a gap in content that needed to be filled for people that needed to understand, A, what's going on in the hobby with all the different releases coming out all the time. B, if I really want to make money flipping sports cards, how do you actually do it? Instead of just asking questions, how do you actually do it? So I wanted to challenge myself to do that. And then C, like we kept getting the same questions over and over again. So I thought, okay, well, if we're going to get the same questions over and over again, I need to create a course that just answers those questions because clearly there's a need for that. So I think it was like partially me just wanting to provide more value to our paid members because you don't pay more for sports card school. Sports card school was an add-on. Nobody got charged anything extra. It's just a, a value add. I like to add additional value wherever I can. But also it was like, okay, well, if we can make evergreen content that's relatable to everybody all at the same time, that makes the most sense from a business standpoint. So we've gotten positive feedback. I think everything's a work in progress. I always want to try to make everything better. I'm never done, you know what I mean? So there's more to come with sports card school. We're making it better and better, but so far we've got a lot of positive feedback from the community, so I'm, I'm happy with it.
0: Yeah, okay, cool. Um, uh, what my, I guess one of my immediate questions is, there is a lot of content out there. Lots of, lots of free content out there, myself and hundreds of other content creators how has the response been to your to your paid service? I mean, i I feel like there is there are so many people sharing their experiences without charging for it. How have you eked out a market where you can actually have have these this fee revenue coming in?
1: There is a lot of great content out there for free. I'm not gonna lie. and I think um, I'm okay with that because I think that what I've tried to do, since I started creating content for the hobby in early 2021, as you mentioned, I started the Sports Card Strategy Show in September 2021. So it took me about eight months of, of trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do. And really that that process was me trying to figure out how I how can I come in and actually provide value to people that know way more than I do about this, right? Like I can't come in and provide any kind of value or act like any kind of an expert To people that have collected longer than I have to people that know all the intricacies about how the sets are put together, the designs, you know? So what I realized is that I also personally don't love collecting. It's not something that I'm passionate about. What I'm more passionate about is the challenge of trying to be like a, like a, a big league GM, really, you know, can I challenge myself to predict who the next big player is going to be, or at least, can I challenge myself to predict if a player's card market stock is going to rise from one time to another? And so what I found is that there's so much content that I could be creating that I found a formula that I thought I could bring to the hobby where I can give away 90% of my best advice for free, which is the Sports Card Strategy Show, and I could hold back the 10% That I felt like the true geeks would pay for, like the true geeks would would come and pay for, like happily pay for. And so I feel like the nooffseason.com family is like the true, you know, just salivating people to really try to try to understand how how we do it. Like how, how do we mitigate risk? How do we maximize fun? And how do we put ourselves in a position where we can actually make money doing it? And it's hard. So that's why I charge for it. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I can't say really how people outside of the no offseason.com family feel about what I'm doing. I can only really say that I really just do focus on what we're doing, um, right or wrong. So I might be kind of ignorant to some of the criticism, but, uh, I'm pretty happy about where we are. So I'm having a good time.
0: Stay ignorant, man. It's, 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 uh, (laughs) life's, life's kind of, uh. Better when you don't when if you're just sort of ignoring some of that stuff. Um, you said that you know what you're trying to do is help people either make money from flipping cards or help them build a collection that will increase in value. Now, for me, you know, I'm not a I don't flip cards to for sport like you do, not that there's anything wrong with that. I do, I however I am interested in building a collection that will go up in value. I've done that successfully for 35-40 years now. Uh, with with the track record to prove it. Not that I'm out there to prove it to anybody. But I've actually I've I've done that based on pure just experience and going through the going through the processes over, over the years. And um, but that's something that I think is interesting that you're doing. You know I that if now I don't know <clears throat> that I would personally like I wouldn't pay for that now. I don't need to. I've got the life experience and the hobby experience. But People do make mistakes when they come into the hobby. They do spend money on things that they, you know, six, 12 months later, wish they didn't. But it's almost like tuition. It's like it's like the poker table. You get someone new to the table. I'm not going to take it easy on you. This is you pay. You got to pay to learn, You got right? And so the hobby is, I think the hobby is different. I would love to help hobbyists not make mistakes. I, I think I do help hobbyists not make mistakes over, over, you know, four years of doing content. And I think you are doing it as well uh, just with a different model in place and I'm not here to criticize or judge. I like you as a person. I'm not a customer of yours, but you obviously have customers and that's great if you're if you're helping people out, that's great do you are do you, two things I want to know number one are you helping people out and number two, give us a tip give give the audience a taste of what you uh, of, of a piece of advice maybe that you gave say, Nine or 12 months ago that helped people out just to let them know what your advice is all about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, first of all, I was one of those people that made mistakes. I mean, I I I say this all the time on my show, like in 2021 and and most of 2022, I I I won't say I lost a lot of money, but I'll say that I made a lot of mistakes. I bought a lot of the wrong cards. I I I did it really because I wanted to learn from experience. And I knew that I couldn't stand up and help people if I didn't go through those trials and tribulations, trial and error myself, because I need I'm one of those people that need to like touch it and feel it. That's how I learn. And so a lot of my confidence in 2023 and 2024 and beyond is because of like what you said, the school of hard knocks. Like I believe, I don't know that we all need that. I know I need that. And that's what got me to the point where I can honestly, stand up and give people advice. So do we actually help people? Yes, we do. But we do it. I personally do it from the standpoint of I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. One of the segments on our show uh, that we still are carrying through to this day in, in a different way. We used to call it L of the week every week. We have L of the week. And we led off the show with L of the week. What's your L of the week? Because the reality is we all make L's. You know, that's part of the game. We don't bat a thousand. Um, so it's, it's with humility, you know, it's with humility. And I also learn a lot from our audience. Like I, I do consider myself an expert. I would be lying if I, if I, you know, like, because how could I not say I'm an expert if I'm charging people for my advice, right? Like that'd be a little, a little backwards. So I do consider myself an expert, but I'm only an expert because I allow myself to learn from our community. So to your point about you not being a customer, I think that's great. I have other supporters and family members um, and good friends of mine that are just as good of flippers as I am. I know they are. I still try to lift them up and learn and also learn from them. And I don't. it doesn't bother me that they don't pay me for that, you know? Number two, uh, I'll give you a little bit of I'll, I'll give you a little taste, right? Because you asked for a little taste. So one thing that I say all the time is, don't buy a card without a selling marker in mind. If you can't tell me or tell yourself, when is a point in the future that that card's, that, that card's value will rise due to some sort of increased media attention or hype or recency bias like we've we've talked about in, for the title of this show. Don't buy the card because you don't know. And because and, that's probably the biggest mistake I repeated over and over again for almost two years is I just thought, oh, I'm going to buy this card because I think it's going to go up. Why do you think that? You have to know that there's a selling marker for that person. So let me give you an example. I'll give you two examples. One is Victor Wembanyama. I went out in, Jan- in late January, earlier February, and I saw an opportunity to buy his Sports Illustrated for Kids card. I talk about the right card for the right player at the right time. What that means is when a player has 5,000 rookie cards like Joe Burrow, You're competing against yourself, really, if you're buying Joe Burrow, because if you're going to buy a Joe Burrow card, it's going to be hard to find the right Joe Burrow card. But with this Victor Wembanyama Sports Illustrated for Kids card, it was the first and only truly investable card of his because he had basically homemade cards on the market before that SI for Kids card came out. Well, I also had learned from the previous couple years of trying to make money flipping that there were going to be more Victor Wembanyama cards coming out. So that one was going to become pretty obsolete pretty quickly. So I had to identify a runway, right? So I knew that the runway was going to be short. I didn't know when the next Victor Wembenyama card was going to come out, but I knew that when it did, it was going to plummet the value of the SI for kids card. So I went out and I said, okay, I've got a little bit of a formula here, but I need to know something else. I need to know the selling marker. What's the selling marker? I said, okay, if by chance, there's no other Victor Wembanyama cards that have hit the market before the 2023 NBA draft, I know that in June, the entire sports world is going to be focused around late June, Victor Wembanyama being the number one pick. So that's my selling marker. Long story short, I was right, but I learned another lesson. I learned that even when you have the selling marker in mind, you have to be prepared to sell earlier than your selling marker if the value starts to go up and if you start to catch wind of those releases that are about to come out, right? So I ended up selling all of my Victor Wimbanyama cards. Total, I was all in about $500 on the cards themselves, including the grading fee at PSA. I ended up with a total net profit of around $2,500. I sold all but one card during the NBA draft lottery announcement that the Spurs had gotten the number one overall pick. So I sold them about six weeks before I thought I was going to sell them. And then something clicked in me, like this is repeatable. This is repeatable. And so now we're just continuing to repeat the process. And we've built these guidelines that are similar to that throughout all the sports. We take guidelines and we marry them together to form strategies And then strategies can be repeated into plays. And so I'll reference that as a Victor Wembanyama play. But there's dozens and dozens more that we talk about for free on the Sports Card Strategy Show and behind the paid wall at NoOffseason.com.
0: All right. Oh, yeah, good. I I appreciate the taste uh, with a nice specific answer. Uh, (laughs) I want to go through a few comments. Then we're going to get into the Vintage Spotlight segment with Leighton. You you came with a question for Leighton, didn't you? I did, yeah. Good, good. Okay. We're going to do that uh layton's back there layton give me two seconds i want to go through a few comments here put a bow on what we just talked about then we'll start the vintage spotlight segment mike petty says i need free content my name is crime and crime don't pay uh mike petty love it that's that's great michael h what's going on mike robo says an episode about exploitation all pass mike i just want to thank you for dropping in and uh and and just thank thanks for saying hello Mike Petty says, I'm worn out too many releases, chase cards, hits, hangers, and breaks. And the 63 parallels that came out from Panini, that were just announced, makes me nauseous. I need to go back to baseball card school. Uh, JH, good luck selling any high-end cards to a dealer at a card show. Seems 70%, not 80, 85% recent comps are unusual. And this is what I want. I want to, I want to convert this into a question for you, but first of all, if you are selling cards to dealers at a card show, you are in the wholesaling business. You're not retailing. Why would you expect to sell to a retailer at, at, at retail cost? They're not there to buy retail unless they're buying for their PC. I'll do that often. When I'm set up, buy cards for my PC, I'll pay more than if I'm looking to just put it in my showcase. That just makes sense to me. But If you expect to go to a show and get retail, well, you're on the wrong side of the table. Get your own table. Which brings me to, uh, and JH, thanks for the comment. Which brings me to my question for you, Paul, which is, where did you sell your Webinyamas, and where do you recommend that your 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 paid subscribers and your audience, where do you recommend that they sell their cards? And let's try and keep this quick, so we got to start the segment with uh, with Layton.
1: eBay, because eBay has the most competition. It has the most searches, and what I mean by competition is. I use seven to ten day auctions ninety nine percent of the time because I've found that when you can pit bidders up against each other, um, that's when you can, in that vacuum, that's when you can maximize your return. So I agree with everything you said, but eBay uh, seven to ten day auctions.
0: All right, good stuff. Thank you. All right, guys, we're gonna start the vintage spotlight segment with my friend, Mister Layton Sheldon. There he is, Layton. How are you doing tonight?
2: Oh great, thanks for having
0: me on Jeremy. How are you today, Paul?
1: Good, Layton, nice to meet you, man. Good to
0: connect. Yeah, great to connect as well. You Paul, you mentioned at the top of the show when we talk about how we know each other that you saw me moderating a panel, at The Mint Collective. Layton happened to be sitting on one of those panels. You probably saw him there. He was a great guest, a, a great panel member, and we had a great discussion already 2 years ago. But we're going let's uh, let's jump right in and Paul why don't you present your question or topic that you're coming with uh for Layton.
1: Absolutely. So I love vintage. I don't dabble in it much mainly because I can't ever identify a selling marker for vintage cards. Like I I'm unable to crack the formula of when a retired athlete is going to rise in value. But I know like I respect vintage and the vintage collecting and everything like that. So I have a question for you about making money on, I guess, flipping vintage cards, right? So I want to know if, if this is actually possible, but somebody told me recently, Layton, that you can actually build a set of 1951 Bowman baseball for cheaper than what you can sell the entire set for thus possibly a vintage sports card strategy for flipping. Is that something you're familiar with? Can you, can you confirm that for me?
2: Uh, I'd love to be able to, but unfortunately, uh, it's not what I practice. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I don't want to mislead anyone. But if I had to say the best way to go about that, I would recommend to whether it be your audience or to Jeremy's audience or really just anyone out there who's listening to this, if you want to get into vintage set collecting at a cheap price... Buy lots and hope that when you tell them you want to buy low grade as a true set collector and as a set builder, it actually takes a lot of time, for example, to go through 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 cards. So what happens is if, for example, you're working on 1960s sets and you tell someone, listen, I want to buy you a know, of VG, you might get some X cards in there. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it, meaning you could strip that big lot out of those X cards, now all of a sudden you're on your way to building a mid-grade set, flipping out the rest of it, whether it be by lot or individually. But I know for a fact that a lot of folks who've been collecting for maybe even longer than myself, they'll simply go out, they'll buy either starter sets or big lots, but not for a particular year. Because what happens, Paul, is that if you target a specific year, you're really pigeonholing yourself and your cost might go up a lot per card. So in other words, if you're targeting in the 50s, I want to do a 1951 Bowman set. Forgetting about the mantle and the maze for a long time, you're going to have a hard-pressed time unless you get a little bit lucky. But if you said to yourself, you know, I'm willing to buy any 1950s Bowman baseball lots and low to mid-grade, all of a sudden you might be well on your way to a 55 Bowman set or a 54 Bowman set. But absolutely, I would start with lots, dividing them up. And then piecing them out from there, whether it be individually or in smaller lots, and I think that's the way to maybe garner some profits, putting those profits back into your set.
1: I love that. Thank you so much. I, this is actually something I'm—I'm—I'm going to try to challenge myself to do some more vintage in 2024. So I appreciate the advice. That's—that's that's outstanding.
2: Well, maybe you could be the first customer of my vintage baseball card school. No,
1: yeah, <laughs> I'm in. Count me in. I like to be the
0: first. Great. Are you looking? Are you looking for a, a professorship somewhere? Maybe you could uh, join the team.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. Maybe I'm uh, looking to teach at a college or something. Uh, joking aside, I think I went on your website earlier, Paul. I think it's really cool, um, and I caught some of the conversation you had with Jeremy earlier. And you know, I love what you were saying. You know, at the end of the day, you're providing a lot of great free information, and if folks kind of want that cherry on top, maybe throw you a few shekels, whatever the case is. But uh, I think it's at least worth checking out. I think it's really cool.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Layton, do you have any questions, topics, comments uh, to throw Paul's way at all?
2: Uh, The question that I have for you, Paul, is I'm curious if you could share with the audience a success story from someone from your school, whether it be paid or unpaid, that you feel comfortable enough to share here. And it doesn't have to necessarily be the biggest amount of money, but I enjoyed your Wemby story. And I'm curious if someone from your training school things they've learned from you uh what you'd like to share here in terms of success story
1: yeah thanks for asking one comes to mind right off the top is in 2022 on one of the sports card strategy shows i mentioned Shadur sanders and he was he had an onyx card at the time that was his only card that he was on he had signed i think 400 blue autos and then uh Maybe a hundred or less greens and like I think five black ink, and that's really the only card that Shadur Sanders had. And so I said I was I was talking to my co-host Kendall McKee, who's a good friend of mine. We actually met doing the show together, and we were talking about it. And I'm like, you know what? I think Shadur, I think if people go get the Shadour card, I think it was like twenty to forty bucks at the time. Raw, the the out of four hundred one. Like people go get the Shadur card. Like there's selling markers for this dude. Like I think. I think there's selling markers. I don't know if he's gonna be a first-round draft pick in the NFL. I don't know if he's gonna transfer because he was at Jackson State with with his dad. And so uh one of our audience members, I'll I'll shout him out. His name's Matt Esterman, because we've we've talked publicly about this on our show, and he's submitted a show and tell video for it. Matt uh, I wanna say made somewhere between two and five thousand dollars because he went all in on my advice on the shadur sanders onyx and i think he owned a good bit of the auto of of the green autos and and even some of the black out of fives and a lot of the 400 blues and so um that that kind of stuff like i had only bought one i had only bought one of them and i bought in much higher than matt did because i didn't follow my own advice until months later um but but uh I love that Matt and other people are sometimes making a lot more money than I'm making. I'm okay with that. That's, that's part of why I love doing it. So that's the one that, that sticks out.
2: Appreciate you sharing. Absolutely. Right on.
0: Yeah. Good question. Layton. Thanks for asking Paul. Good. I I like that you, uh, you have a specific person in mind. It came to you right away. Really cool. Layton. uh, I do want to ask you before we wrap up the vintage spotlight segment here tonight, I want to ask you about the Bronco Nagurski national, Chickle card that you showed on your Instagram today. I think it was a a PSA one and a half, maybe it, it had a the one. What one it was the one? The, yeah, a one. It had a crease going down it, but it not right on his face, just to the left, maybe through his ear. Thought it was a beautiful copy. Uh, tell us the a quick story about how you stumbled into what
2: is the football vintage grail. Uh, sure, Well, I appreciate asking. So we had the good fortune to be contacted by a gentleman. And not only did this individual collect, his father collected, and his great grandfather collected, and so when he brought me the collection to our offices at our store, uh, he found us through our website at JustCollect.com. You know, after sending us some initial scans, decided to set up an appointment with us. Uh, came in and was very careful to tell me, you know, this is kind of this was granddad's collection, this was my dad's collection. And this was mine. And he was kind of like embarrassed with his a little bit because he's like, you know, I don't think my collection's very good. He would hold his head low, you know. I'm like, you know, it's okay. We're not judging you no matter what. Uh, So anyway, we started going through the collection. And, of course, you know, I started with the earliest, which is from the 30s. He had had a few uh, tobacco cards, but mainly the the bigger portion of the collection, I would say, started in the 30s. And, I mean, I'm going through like nine pocket sheets. And I hit the Chickles. And I literally say aloud because he didn't mention anything about Nagurski. I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be a hoot? You know, because I see high numbers. Wouldn't that be a hoot if you had Nagurski? And I, like, you know, turn a few more pages. And the guy's like, you know, there's like 53 Chickles. which, you know, for those watching this, you might be like, wait, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, first of all, there's only 36 cards in the entire 1935 national trickle football set. There's a lot of different rumors as to the 12 high numbers and why they're tougher, I'm not going to spend Jeremy's valuable time here on the show talking about it, but you can Google it, you know, for yourself. Um, But anyway, at the very least, uh, if I was going to offer someone some advice out there, whether it be you're an amateur treasure hunter or whether it be you're a professional or anywhere in between. If you go and have the good fortune to take a look at some fresh vintage cards and you know that in that set, there's only 36 and yet you're staring at more cards in that little group that are in the entire set, I already know I'm getting goosebumps now. I already know you're gonna find something special. It's guaranteed. Now, I didn't know there'd be a Nagurski, but also happened me be a Rockney, a bunch of high numbers, in like very reasonably good condition. So I'll let everyone know about the grades, but anyway, I get to the Nagurski, and I'm like, get the F out of here. You have a Nagurski in your album? You didn't tell me? He's like, oh yeah, well, you know, it's part of Granddad's collection. I'm like, I know, but you told me you had like a 73 tops Thurman Munson. It's not even his rookie. He's like, yeah, but that was one of my most valuable cards. And so it's just so interesting what we do, whether it be as collectors or like we inherit things. And, you know, you just get this distorted. Like, hey, it's from my perspective, my perspective only. So anyway, fast forward. Thankfully, we did reach a deal for that collection, but it was a little bit unusual in that, you know, he wanted to have the different components of his collection appraised. And that's what I did. So I think it was like the 30s and 40s and 50s, maybe the 60s and 70s, there might've been some modern. Anyway, like anything from the 70s on, he's like, wait, you're telling me you're gonna pay X for all this and you're only gonna pay a little bit more with everything else thrown in? I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. He's like, I'll just keep everything else. I'm like, I think you made the wise choice. So anyway, uh, we reached a deal. The full story will be coming soon to our blog at blog.justcollect.com, where we have hundreds of stories uh not only on you know a uh, chikled because this is fairly uncommon um but a lot of fun stories from all the major sports including non sport cards so check it out if you get a chance
0: right on yeah man what what, a, what an amazing find i mean the Nagurski is that that's a like for people that don't know you know in football that is the football card it's it, that is the that is the that's the Honus Wagner of football cards. It's it's like the George Vesna is that for hockey and uh and the George Mikan for basketball. Uh that's the that's the Nagerski. It's a really cool looking card. Nice find for you guys. You can follow Leighton Sheldon, check out the ticker on Leighton underscore underscore Sheldon and just underscore collect and check out his podcast, episode 53, just dropped yesterday or today. Trading card therapy layton thanks as always thanks for having me guys it was great meeting you paul you too layton take it easy all right paul i want to pick up where we left off i want to go through a few more comments that came in and then we'll continue dan's vintage says good evening guys nice to see you dan welcome to the show chris c says if you're not going to be able to sell at retail to vendors at a card show then hold the card sellers hold the power you don't have to sell for less than comp Which is why I asked you, Paul, where do you recommend people selling? You said eBay's a great place. And of course, it certainly is. Mark Santucci says, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. It happens. Of course, we all do. And that's what we all have in common for sure. Joe Perot, what's going on, buddy? Happy Super Bowl Eve, everybody. Mike Petty says, I'd like Paul better if I gave him 300K and a shopping list. He came back with all my cards centered and untrimmed with high eye appeal in three to six months. I would have paid 5 to 10% for that service. Very good. Uh JH says yeah you never have to sell obviously but it is tough to get fair value from a dealer. Well it is. That's they're not there to pay recent comps. I don't understand why people don't understand that. Like you have to know that if they're paying to be behind the table that they're not it's like Colin Murray here says selling to a dealer is always an option for less than the value to get some quick cash but you can always set set up at a show and pay thousands of dollars that the dealers pay. You can do that. Set up travel showcase rental, all that as well. You don't, you don't have to do that, but if you do, these guys are incurring expenses to sell. Stuke says, if you buy low enough and sell the card and the card is in high demand, you can sell to a dealer or anyone else, buy the card before it gets hot. Yeah, you can sell to a dealer, but you might get more by selling at retail versus whole, whenever you're selling to a dealer, you have to be in the mindset that you are wholesaling. And when you wholesale, You are one of the things that you're sacrificing is some of the money. You're also doing less work and you're getting it done quicker. And Paul, I want you to take mental notes. I want you to respond to these when I'm done going through them. Mike Petty says a VWEM nickname, nickname school for Victor women. If the guy doesn't have a catchy nickname, don't buy it. The professor says the sports card strategy. YouTube has a great valuable content without needing to subscribe for the paid content. Plus Paul makes his unpaid content entertaining. He sure does. It's a great, you you do great production value man you you really do. Uh Chris C says some collectors like myself who've been in this for over 30 years don't really care about the overemphasis on grading and I'd rather focus on value proven over hype all day. T. Jones, what's up with you? Welcome to the show. And Dan's Vintage I love this says the selling marker, which is what he means selling marker for vintage is when you die and your family sells your PC. <laughs> I love uh, vintage, right? Uh, Paul, I went through a lot right there. Anything you'd like to respond to before we move on?
1: Yeah, I think the general theme that I want to comment on in terms of of selling to vendors, I mean, what comes to my mind is think about your audience, right? Like the chances that you're going to take your cards to one person or like maybe two or three people standing behind one table and that they're going to be they're going to happen to be the people that want to pay the most amount for the cards that you happen to have is just a very unlikely scenario in life. So while you are in a qualified place, you are taking it to a vendor at a card show. It's counterintuitive to think that you're going to maximize the amount of return on that. And that's why I said eBay earlier, because what eBay and it doesn't have to be eBay, but any kind of auction format on an, on a platform that protects the buyer and also has a lot of eyeballs on it, you're just going to maximize your chances because you're pitting people up against each other that are interested in that particular card. And so when you're taking, it's like, if, it's like if I were to just DM one person on Instagram and say, are you interested in this card? I mean, the chances are no, unless it's just a ridiculously outstanding card, you know? So I think part of it is you have to look at what cards you have and part of it, you have to look at, what's your audience? If your audience is one to three people, you're just drastically limiting the chances to maximize the profit. If your audience is 20 million people like on eBay, you're going to make more money.
0: That's a really, really good piece of information for anyone who just doesn't get that. You know, But the, the difference between selling to a dealer at a card show and selling on eBay or PWCC or any other platform is the timing. At the card show, you're gonna get that cash right then and there, or they'll transfer you the money. Whatever that that is immediate in most in ninety nine percent of the cases. Whereas if you're selling on eBay or PWCC or wherever, you have to wait for their buyer to pay, and then they've so, got to send you the money. There's a little bit a little bit more friction there, but it's still. I mean, these things still happen pretty quickly overall. It's, and you're right. It's a
1: trade off, right? It's like neither one's perfect because I know you gotta you you know especially if you're selling on eBay they take the fees out and so so sometimes you know weird stuff happens with with how cards are priced and stuff like that but i think that um everything is allowed there's no wrong answer but i think the more that you play the game the more reps you have the more you kind of see what works for you and you know to me it's not you know cuz again we're talking about where I'm coming from, I'm coming from only buying with a selling marker in mind. right? So part of my whole process is to think about selling on eBay at the selling marker. I might not be at a card show during the selling marker. So I totally understand all of you in the audience might not be thinking that way. And maybe maybe the card show is the way to go for the reason that Jeremy said, get that cash now and there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the eBay sort of option does have other issues, but you are, like you said, what I think was really astute that you said is you're pitting all the people that want that, that want that card against each other. And a bidding war may break out. Oftentimes they do. And whether you like it or not, eBay has the most eyeballs in this, in our hobby slash industry. I think that that's just the way it is. And it's, uh, it, so if, you know, that's where you're going to get a lot of exposure, uh, and you are, you know, versus just taking it to a couple of dealers at a card show and do they even want what you have? I mean, you have to, right? So you might, you might, someone might say, well, I don't really want this. So I'm only willing to pay you 60% of what I think they're worth because I don't really want it. But if you sell it to me at 60, I'll take it. Well, don't take that as this guy insulting you. The guy doesn't want your cards. All he wants to pay you. He's in just as much as you're entitled to ask for the, for comps, he's entitled to offer you whatever he or she wants. There's no, like you said, there really are no rules there. Uh, Mark Santucci wants to know, is Bronco Nagurski more valuable than Sammy Baugh? Yeah, I, I think I think uh, as far as their first cards go, he certainly is, Mark. And the Cardboard Corner, welcome to the show, Cardboard Corner, says, hello, uh, love and follow both shows. Great content, guys. Thank you, thank you, Cardboard Corner, for letting us know that you uh, you're enjoying this. Colin Murray says, dealers have a list of customers looking for cards, so eBay isn't always the answer. Tax free at a show and having the card in front of you is always a premium. One thing I just want to say about tax free at a show is that it's not really tax free. It's tax free because someone's breaking the law. Someone is breaking <laughs> the the code or the the the, the code, the IRS code of the Income Tax Act in Canada or wherever. Someone, somebody is not being on the total up and up. So yeah, you should probably
1: for- be you should probably be declaring all your income
0: <laughs> you probably should be declaring all your all your now if you are selling at a card show and that and that in, in a jurisdiction that has sales tax and you're not collecting it well you are collecting it it's coming off the top of your of, if i sell you a car for 100 bucks and i'm gonna be on the up and up i'm going to only really get whatever 92 93 of it the rest is going uh to the government for tax so Uh, You got to keep that in mind. And, you know, uh, most Bob Boozle says I follow most laws. Yeah, I mean, but some some are some have more serious repercussions if you get caught. And um, I guess you got to you got to consider that. So uh, but it's worth mentioning that this is a hobby that is kind of I think the the participants Paul have very often like you mentioned earlier that yeah, you can sell on eBay, but you're going to pay the fees. Well, yeah, you are. That's the fee for using their platform that they've built. That's their business of course you're going to pay their fees because you're not paying rent to your landlord. You're not paying for utilities. All you're paying are the eBay fees, which is kind of the, the substitute there. But at the same time, you also are many, I don't know who, because I don't ask every dealer at card shows or I don't even ask anybody, but a lot of people are paying taxes on the cards that they're selling and um, or the profit. You know, It's not on the gross revenue. It's profit minus cost. That's your net income. That's what you should need to be declaring. And if you're not, um just be careful because they can't you might get that letter and even if you don't get a 1099 in the u.s or or whatever income form up here in canada just because they don't send it to you because they don't have to because it's under 600 bucks or whatever doesn't mean it's not taxable to you anyway this is not a show on tax advice but i'm just letting you know uh you know you might need to some of you guys might need to be looking over your shoulders out there what do you think of all that paul
1: I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's it's part of the overall play when we talk about how much we take away profit-wise from each individual play. But really, at the end of the year, it's it's supposed to be your your total revenue minus your expenses, and and then your net income, and you're supposed to pay taxes on on all of that. So, um, you know, we we take that into consideration, even if we're selling at card shows. Which I want to add, like what you said about get on the other side of the table it's brilliant too because I was on the other side of the table at culture collision a couple of weeks ago for the first time ever as a vendor and it was awesome I loved it I loved uh the deals that I got I love the you know I, I felt like I got more action as a vendor than I did walking around uh, but it was a great show and we're gonna set up at the the national uh it's actually I call it the Nash national because it's in Nashville um not the Na- we're, we'll be at the national in Cleveland but I won't as of now i don't have a way to get a booth there but i'm looking to set up as a vendor at as many card shows as i can moving forward because i just enjoyed it so much in atlanta
0: yeah oh congrats on your first show as a vendor it is fun i mean it's 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 a ton of fun a couple more comments here vintage card collector says for the most part i feel selling to a dealer is for those who don't want to put in the work bingo like that's exactly right because if you're going to sell online you're putting the work the the compromise there and there's a question from the professor that ties into this paul so we're going to get your thoughts on this but the compromise is to use a consignment seller like a pwcc or an mc sports cards or slab sharks up here in canada that's i use those guys because i don't want to put in the work but i also don't want to take 60 70 percent of comps i want to get as much as i can so i don't i don't sell to sometimes i do listen I go to card shows, Paul, and I will sell cards in many different ways, trade, whatever it is. But when I, this past six months, I sold a lot of cards and it was almost, it was all either at a card show as I was the vendor or it was through consignment sellers. But I agree with vintage cards comment, which is why you, which is why they're doing the work. Their time is worth money. And if you don't recognize that and you think you're entitled to full value because you're at a card show, give your head a shake. You're just not, and if you are, you're in the wrong place. I don't know. That's just just from from experience and, and trying to think about it. Do you have any response before I, I, we get to the professor's question?
1: One hundred percent. I mean, I think it's very personal to everyone because you can you can feel entitled to a certain amount for your card, and that feeling could come from any any number of reasons in your personal situation but you nailed it in terms of just it's all just going to come down to if you want to put in the work you can get more money for it and if you want to do a middle ground like a consigning service because of your own personal situation with how many cards you might have or if you need if you need the money at that particular time and you need to use that service great um but yeah if you just want to walk up and expect somebody to pay you something for it i think you're you're mistaken because you know you have to look at this like this we we're, we're in a hobby that is unique to the fact that we can get money back for our enjoyment you can't go golfing and then and enjoy that round of golf and then also get the money back for the round of golf 6 months later
0: you well, know so the money and then some in many cases <laughs> right plus a yeah. return yeah yep yep here let's get to the professor's question. Does Paul ever use consignment services or will Sports Card Strategy provide this service in the future as more vertical integration offering to the Sports Card Strategy family? He's giving you a business idea here, Paul.
1: The professor, I love it. Um so I mentioned a minute ago it's a little bit personal for everybody. So like if you need a if you need money and you need to move cards at a particular time, for a personal reason, consigning services could be the way to go for you. I'd never use consigning services. I think the number one reason is because it doesn't fit with my strategy. I want to sell at the selling marker. My understanding of using consignment services is that They get hit up with, at least the reputable ones, get hit up with so many cards that they've built a process to manage that, to intake those cards, and to list those cards at a particular time. That takes the control completely out of my hands as the seller who needs to sell at the selling marker. I don't know when they're going to sell my cards. So it totally like crushes my entire strategy to maximize my profits. That's why I don't use them. Not because I don't think they're not reputable, not because you shouldn't use them. I won't, won't tell you things like that. But if you're looking to do what I'm doing, which is to sell at a selling marker, essentially, that I've already outlined, then that totally crushes that strategy. So I don't do it. Now, in terms of would the sports card strategy show and offseason.com provide that as a service moving forward, I don't think I'll ever... I'm the type of entrepreneur that won't rule out anything that would potentially be valuable to the customer, the audience. If, if there's a need for it, if I feel like I can provide utmost value in something and deliver for people and make them, make them feel good and coming back, build relationships, I'll consider offering a service. I think that would be one that would be like very hard for me to manage other people's cards is not something that I've gotten into yet because I don't know that I could handle it at this point in time based on what I'm trying to do with creating content and and flipping myself.
0: Yeah, no, well said. I do have a, I do have a rebuttal for the consignment thing, but first I'll read Bob's big boy comment because it ties into what you said. He says consignment kills the timing part of the strategy. On the other hand, shill bidding can create record sales with total anonymity. Tough choice for some. Shouldn't be <laughs> a tough choice if if one option is shilling your auction. I mean that should not be a choice. Uh, if that is, please please leave our audience right now. I'm not interested in, in having you here if you bid on your own auctions. Um, but uh, but there, in my rebuttal is that a good consignment company that has the system in place will allow you to list it when you want. So you can send them your cards. And then say, hey, hold these until I'm ready to list them. And now I'm going to let you know when I want you to list them for me. I think some of them have that ability. Maybe the smaller ones do. Maybe the bigger ones are more process-oriented. Like you said, they have their workflow and they stick to it. And that's it. That's their service. But maybe here's another opportunity, a a business idea for somebody. I know some people that are doing things like this, where they will really give you that white glove consignment service. So the option is there. I don't think it kills it all together. But your point is well taken, Paul. I, th- I think you, you have a point that in many cases, you don't have that option.
1: And to be fair, I've never used consignment services. So I'm really just going on secondhand information. So I'm glad you said that because that's just what I've heard. And and it, I believe what you said is true and that there, there should be really good ones out there they can give you more white glove and and sell at the time that you want to sell and I, I do recall um, using PWCC a couple years ago um, when they weren't kicked off eBay yet um, you were allowed to go ahead they had a feature on the website where you could go ahead and 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 list you know through their eBay integration so I guess technically that's a consignment service that was offering that
0: yeah yeah okay couple, well, lots of great comments. I have have topics still for you. I've got some good questions for you.
2: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends.